0: The following podcast is brought to you on behalf of the Saracen Supporters Association and is not an official product of Saracens Limited. Content provided voluntarily by our guests and contributors are of their own opinion, which may change over time and should not be taken as fact, particularly as the podcast hosts are regularly talking drivel anyway. If you've got some drivel of your own you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at FezCast underscore SSA. You can search Facebook for the FezCast or you can email fezcast.ssa at outlook.com. You're listening to the
1: FezCast. Fezcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the FezCast. And uh, joining me tonight is Matt and Barry. Plenty to discuss, although nothing too great um, Saracens men other than the Premiership Cup, which we'll talk about. Obviously, the the seniors have got a bit of a break now. Um, Saracens women returning the Allianz 15s, but we've also got a brilliant interview with Charlie Reynolds West is one of the up-and-coming players coming through, and then we'll discuss England. But gentlemen, first of all, how are we?
2: Yeah, good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, caught up with the uh, with the women's game yesterday. It was good to have that on the on the iPlayer. It wasn't quite um, wasn't quite technically perfect. It disappeared at one point very early on, and came back again, and then we lost audio and all sorts of various strange bits. But uh, it was good to have it and and good to be able to join in with it, as it were.
0: Yeah, good to have some free-to-air rugby, which I managed to, managed to catch a little bit of uh, at work as well. So, yeah, I, I, I did uh, did watch the full game out the corner of my eye and caught a bit of Saturday too. So, yeah, I managed to get a, get a bit of rugby in.
1: Well, I, I did well because it was my wedding anniversary on Saturday, so my um, wedding anniversary, me and Shazza, and um, yeah, I managed to, well, we went out for lunch and uh, walked the dogs and everything like that. But then, yeah, I managed to um, watch the rugby on uh, Saturday afternoon, which was uh, very good of my my darling wife, to uh, to allow me to do that. So, uh, you know, her medal's in the post, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, first up then, uh, Premiership Cup. We finished that. Um, less said, sooner spended, I suppose, really, in a, in a way. Although, we, you know, we are going to discuss it in a bit more depth with, with Charlie in the interview we did with me and Matt did with him. But, yeah, looking at results on paper, not a great, Situation, but then was it as bad as we all think, given the injuries, given the call ups from the squad that would have probably been playing that? We've gone on into the uh, the senior team, the likes of Theo Dan and um, Josh, uh, you know, um, and everything. It's not as bad as perhaps we, we, we may be thinking. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, results. Results-wise, it's not good. Um, I I wasn't at the game, and and I've only really seen some brief highlights, but looking at some of the other comments, uh, the the phrase men against boys cropped up, and that cropped up a little bit against London Irish, the the previous game as well. And it does kind of seem that those guys not playing together as a side regularly is definitely having an effect on them. Um, and that's something that we we possibly need to to address if there's not going to be an A League going forward. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was basically our academy side by the end, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, men against boys is, is used as a as a bit of a metaphor sometimes, but I think actually in the Prem Cup this season, at times we can take that quite literally. Um, you know, there's a lot of our first year academy players that are and try not to reveal anything that we talked to Charlie about in a second, but you know, a lot of Academy boys that weren't necessarily expecting to actually play in the Cup this season. There have been a lot of injuries. Um and yeah, so for eight eighteen, nineteen year olds to come out and, and be given that much game time in the Cup that's also played very, very early on in the season, with these players only just coming into the Academy. You know, there's a there's a lot to be said about the structure of the cup and how it you know even when the games are being played doesn't necessarily work for for those younger players. So there is a lot to think about. But um, yeah, another season that might have been slightly different. Um, but I think yeah, there's plenty that, that these guys can take out of it, even though we have lost lost all the prem cup games.
1: Well, there's a wider um, question to be answered here, really, isn't there? And you talk about this that players are coming in. Expected to play four games, and potentially that is going to be their only four games they'll play at that level of intensity at 18, 19 years old, which I remember playing 18, 19 years old. You weren't allowed anywhere near first team rugby. You were a cult, you know, you played age defined fine rugby and you were protected. And if you're suddenly coming up against some hairy ass 50-cap um, you know, player and you're an 18, you know, you are still essentially not far out of school rugby. There's an element of danger here. And, you know, I, I don't honestly think that the Premiership rugby can have any idea of, of player welfare here, because, I, I mean, it would only take one young lad to, uh, to be hit by somebody who is much older, much more physically developed, and then suddenly you've got a whole world of issues there. And you're right, Barry. You you mentioned the A-team league. Now that's gone by the wayside. You know, I mean, perhaps there's uh, perhaps there's a question to say about in the same way as footballers are um, looked at, where they, with the like the, the the League Cup, they're putting in second teams or under twenty-three teams or something like that. Maybe there's a there's an argument for um, clubs like in a premiership, being able to put out academy teams or under 23 teams in level three, level four of the national game and giving them the exposure there against good quality players, against top quality or experienced players and they'll learn so much more. But expecting young lads to come in and just play the odd game, there's, there's an issue there, I think.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think there is. And I mean, there's there's been some I've heard one or two whispers that uh, that they view some of these academy lads as the uh, as as the opposition in training at Saracens and and that's obviously given them an exposure to to the physicality and and to how things work but it it won't be the same as as playing regularly and if we're not going to have an A-League we need to find something to bridge that gap between academy um, age grade rugby and and first team and I, I mean I don't know what the answer to that question is but there has to be something that put in there. Someone's going to have to think of a way around this, whether it's entering sides at, at, at levels three and four, as you say, or or whether it's low knees to champion. Well, in, in playing championship games. Why don't we have a cup where we bring the championship sides in? I don't
1: know. I mean, that,
2: would would that work? Maybe.
1: Well, I mean, you know, for me, the the old tatley Cup was a it was a highlight. That, you know, you had an opportunity, regardless at what level, you know, that you could be oral for argument's sake, who, who were in the third level, could end up playing Saracens in a match like the FA Cup, we're having that 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 um, the romance almost of having the opportunity to 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 have a giant killing, that's gone out of the game hugely. And I think, you know, when we look at football and we look at the FA Cup and the conversations around that being devalued, uh, where, you know, teams are making 11 changes or whatever, rugby has gone far beyond that in devaluing their cup competition to such a level as to where we see it now.
2: Yeah, and it's um, it, it it is a shame because there is something special about cups. I mean, it's it's not quite the same in rugby as it is in in football. There there isn't the the, the great glamour and the great magic of the FA Cup, but uh, but there certainly should be a room for a knockout competition. I mean, we all love Europe, right? Because it's because it is eventually it becomes a great knockout competition and a great opportunity to play sides that you don't see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, no. I think we can. Uh, th- that one there. We do need to have a chat about the um, Saracens women because, again, they've come off of out of the cup competition. The World Cup is over now. The uh, Alliance 15s has started up and Saracens got off to a winning start uh, on the weekend against Loughborough Lightning. Um... <laughs> Watch on the iPlayer. Uh, first thing I've got to say about the iPlayer is. I can't believe how badly BBC got the team wrong. Do <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You say May Campbell was at 14, LORS was at, at hooker on the team sheet beforehand. You know, I mean, that's just simple stuff. Get a team right on the uh, on the build-up. Um, but yeah, uh, it was not the most hugely convincing performance, but the right result and a step in the right direction. And bearing in mind, you know, there's an awful lot of players who are still jet-lagged or probably... Having a few beers or reacquaint themselves with their families, have to come back
2: in. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's another two weeks before we can see the um, the 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 uh, the England players or the international, certainly the England players back for after their their World Cup uh, exploits. But yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly bad performance. It's just a little bit rusty. And I suppose as as the teams change so much week by week by week as players come back and what have you, you're probably going to see a little bit of that at the beginning of the season. That um, they they kept it exciting by giving Luff for a couple of uh, a couple of fairly easy tries. I mean, the, the Luff for winger Lauren Bulger, I mean Blimey, she's quick, but um, <laughs> she, she's even quicker if you give her a five-yard head start on the ball going in the wrong direction. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was never really in that much in that much danger. Special shout out to uh, to May Campbell, who's now scored nine tries this season, and the rest of the team only got ten between them.
1: <laughs> yeah, May my is a try machine, but there's a couple of other people that need to uh, be um, talked about. Grace number eight, she was outstanding. I thought there was the one run she did where she was putting the handoff in on the Loughborough defender, and the you know first handoff went into the into the sort of like a sternum, and then she moved up slightly. Onto the chest, and then it was one in the face. (laughs) Look, just bugger off, would you? And uh, I mean, yeah, you know, as I might have mentioned on occasion about my own number eight exploits, I mean, that was, that was madder from heaven for me to watch that. I, I, thoroughly enjoyed that run that was for me the highlight of of the uh, of the game but yeah um the, the uh, together um open side as well um f- forgive me i've forgotten the name that's terrible of me but um i'm as bad as the bbc obviously but she had a fine game and you know obviously marley packer in the world team of the year she's gonna have to work hard to get that place Go on, Matt. Drag me out the. Drag me out the mire. <laughs> that's what uh, Sharifa Casalow, I think, is the. Uh... Well, that's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was. I was still overexcited about the 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 big number eight run. So, uh... <laughs> yeah. And to be
0: fair, Grace Grace Moore at eight. She's um, she's already made a bit of a name for herself and a bit of a habit of doing that because in the cup games um, at the start of the season, we saw exactly the same thing: just a run from the halfway line straight down the middle, straight towards the post. So. Um, Definitely one to uh, definitely one to look out for. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you in the back row. I think did very well. We Obviously, spoke to um, Fee McIntosh last week, who I thought read, um, led from the front very very well in the in the second row. Um, Elvirus at nine, sort of having to. It's going to sound a bit harsh. But having to sort of marshal the game playing nine and a bit of ten. Um, we obviously we've got no Zoe Harrison um, for a little while. Flo Williams joined the squad, I think, Monday, Tuesday, so came off the bench having probably barely met some of her teammates. Um, so Katie Johnson at 10, who's just about coming through the academy, was really quite thrown in at the deep end there and I think did absolutely fine. But Ella, you know, taking a real sort of senior role and going, taking a lot of the pressure off at 10 by the way she where she kicked from the base of the scrum and, and, and elsewhere as well. So I think, yeah, she had a really good game at nine. So there's There's a lot to like. there's a few few of the newer players as well that are coming through that um, should have a bit of confidence from that game as well and yeah it, it looked a little bit sloppy at times, um but relatively comfortable despite getting to the end of the game thinking we need we need another try. Um, for most of the game we were we were pretty well in control, so I think it you know it does look look good for the, the start of the season definitely.
1: Absolutely. I think that's an interesting point you make about Ella there, that very much in the old Pierre Berbizier style that Anton Dupont takes on for France now, very much the general um, work in the forwards and the backs, which is a very, you know, it's it's an exemplary scrum half who can do that uh, very, very well. Kieran Bracken was another who was very good at shoving his forwards around the field, but then also released in his backs, uh, Matt Dawson as well, you know that's where England built a lot of um, success, um, you know in the World Cup, having that that player linking and playing like a general. That's why France is so good, why New Zealand's so good with Aaron Smith doing it for him. you know. So yeah, that was great to see. And as I say, you know youngsters coming through. It was a very this season typical Saracens performance in so much as that, you know. I think they're trying to do stuff and at, one, at some point when it does come off it's going to just be amazing and that's the same with the men you know they've the one thing I always used to say when I coach kids is about making decisions and that you know and and giving kids the confidence to do something you got the ball in your hand do something and I think that's what Saracens are doing now they're saying to you look you've got the ball in your hand look up what's in front of you do something with it and you know Sometimes it won't come off. And, you know, when it was absolutely hammering down with rain, it was possibly not going to come off. But they carried on doing it and they believed in what they were doing and and they the, it bare fruit in the end.
2: Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a massive difference. I'm sure we'll come on to England later, but there's a massive difference between the way that Saracens are trying to play this season and they're trying to play heads-up rugby and play what's in front of you and, and a side like England who seem to have a, a very rigid game plan and, and they stick to that no matter what.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I did mention it earlier on, just a quick one to say, well done to Marley Packer on being named in the World Team, um, the Women's Team of the Year. Um, I think she's very unlucky not to be um, World Player of the Year, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, yeah, the, the Kiwi uh, girl got it. Was she brilliant the whole season through? Or was it just, yeah, you know, wow i'm not on the um the panel i should be obviously perhaps <laughs> one day the first cast will become important enough that uh, i will be asked to be on the panel and you'll see it see it's only uh, an interesting point of view but um yeah well well team of the year will be fifteen number eights when je gets <laughs> <laughs> we we will talk about uh, number eight in the um in part three but uh, there's an end part one there. We'll have a a quick advert and then we'll come back with mine and Matt's interview with uh, Charlie Reynolds West in part two.
0: You are listening to the Fezcast, which is proudly sponsored by the Saracen Supporters Association. And I'm Alison Davis, one of the SSA committee. For a £10 annual subscription, the SSA provides our members with monthly newsletters, virtual and in-person player events, away match ticket allocations, and we organise pre-match gatherings at away matches. We sponsor men's and women's players, and we support the Saracens Foundation Track Club on behalf of our members. On top of all that, every year we have a seasonal SSA badge, which is exclusive to members. Where else can you get that much value for a tenner? Join now at membermojo.co.uk forward slash SSA or come and see us on match day in the Oasis at the Stonex. This is the Fezcast.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fezcast, one of um, Saracen's young up and coming New players, shall we say? Charlie Reynolds West has joined us. Charlie, welcome to the Fezcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really good,
3: thanks, mate. Wicked. Glad to be here.
1: Good to be a part of it. Love what you guys are doing with the podcast. So it's happy to get involved. Oh, uh, brilliant! Thank you for um, doing that, Charlie. And as I say, yeah, you're on the on the very start of your career with Saracens. Uh, how old are you now? By the way, I'm eighteen. Eighteen. God blimey, yeah. There you go. I was right Matt, you know, it's when 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 players are being bored just just not long before I, after I retired almost from playing but uh, <laughs> um no, it's um it's great I mean that you've you've joined Saracens. Tell us why Saracens, how did this opportunity come about? What is your past in rugby and you know where have you come from?
3: So um I started off at, at Harlow RC when I was when I was younger I played in in the minis up up there um and sort of played my way work my way up there from young uh I never did any any tag stuff I just started at five years old my dad took me down there and he was he was part of the coach coaching set up at Harlow and he sort of came came with me the whole way up as I was going through the the juniors there um and when I was I went to school in Bishop Stortford, so they helped me uh massively with my rugby there and progressing there um I when I was in year seven I was a uh, Lucky enough to get picked for a, like an Essex trial, you know, the sort of DPP setup sort of thing they, they uh, used to do there. And as you do, you get over the moon about that, that opportunity to go and sort of play for Essex at a young kid. And I was, uh, I know, must have been 12 when I first started that. And um, was lucky enough to then get selected for that and uh, work my way up into sort of the Surrey setup. They do it a bit older now, but um, at the time it was sort of under 14s, under 15s, uh, PDG set up it was called so sort of the next step above counties where they mix kent hop and essex and uh, i went for a trial at stonex there and was lucky enough to get through on that trial i was playing scrum half at the time um i've always been in the scrum half up until sort of this time last last year uh was when i moved to wing so um i was playing a scrum half with my with my rugby then and then i sort of stayed stayed in that system going through the the process there uh, with a few of the lads that are also uh, in the senior academy now. Um was playing rugby, enjoying rugby there. And then COVID sort of confused everything uh, when I come out of school because I, I never did my GCSEs or anything like that. It was all on the on the mocks and stuff. So I ended up coming to college at Oakland College, um, played a little bit of rugby there, didn't really get to play too much because of, of COVID and everything that happened with that. Uh, fell out of love with rugby and then luckily fell back in love with it. Uh, as I said this time last year and I I was playing on the wing. I moved from Scrum I've played on the wing in Academy League last year under eighteens. Um I scored a few tries and then was lucky enough to be offered a trial um a trial contract over the summer uh with Saris to go a pre season and then I did that did that trial and at the end of that I was was lucky enough to be given a full time contract uh Saris in the senior academy so that's sort of my journey, where I've came from and where I am now. Well,
1: that's, that's brilliant to hear. And as, a, you know, I'm sure Matt will agree here, all the best sportsmen in the world come from Essex. That's I was born name. in Essex, although I lived in Oxford most of my life. Matt, you're Essex, well, aren't you?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I've got a confession to make. I I live in Harlow um, and I've never actually watched a game at Harlow RFC where literally I could walk. Um, <laughs> my, my only, um, my only, only excuse is I'm a Harlow immigrant I moved over the border five years ago from Hertfordshire so it's still, no, uh, there we go. still pretty fresh but yeah no yeah well I'm just
1: gonna I'm just gonna throw out there that you know two of um England's three best um sporting captains all come from Essex so obviously Bobby Moore um and uh um Alistair Cook well, Grand Gouttas as well. So, I mean, it's about time we had a, a young Essex rugby player coming through to perhaps lead England in the future, Charlie. But, uh, you know, you're now at the club. You've made a few appearances in the Premiership Cup this year, which, I mean, on the strength of it, um, we'll be honest, the results didn't go the way perhaps that you you and the club would have wanted them to go. But a lot of young lads like yourself gaining an awful lot of good experience and... Um, on on the on the pitch there, how how has how has you developed this season, and how have you seen the club developing the youngsters like yourself developing?
3: Yeah, so obviously we've had a, it's been unfortunate to have um, quite a few injuries in a, in our first team squad, um, but at the same time it's it's a positive for for like me and a few of the other young boys that's given us the opportunity to to represent the club in that tournament, which is like a dream come true for me from a young age anyway um and it's really cool to sort of make my debut and, and play a few games with my with my closest mates that i've come through that pdg development program with and uh, was playing this time last year at academy league so it's been wicked to play with those boys uh, i think the club has been wicked with sort of giving us those opportunities and and, and i know the results have been tough but for us a lot in the future hopefully it will come to show that it's been really good learning lessons and and we're gonna we're gonna take that forward playing like we've played very little senior rugby the majority of us anyway. So to to play in that competition is is really gonna benefit us in the in the future. And um, even with some of the older boys in that group, we spent such little time together because obviously um the, the premiership is is the big thing and that's the main competition that everyone's looking towards. But when it comes to the squad that we've been putting out with with our prank cup games we've had such little time together in training but we've we've done a really good job since the queen games of since the queen's game of actually gelling together and forming new relationships between sort of all sorts of ages in that team and and a lot of the older boys have really helped the younger lads uh build in confidence and and um made sure we've kept our heads high as, as we've been pushing through this this campaign and hopefully next year and years to come that will benefit us and we can do the same for younger boys coming through as well
1: just going to say, uh, Matt. Just just so you're aware, because I know you're a bit of an old fogey and everything. When Charlie says "wicked," it's that's good, all right. Uh, that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but that, that's an interesting thing you say there, Charlie. I mean, we're you know long-term supporters of Saracens, obviously, and we go back. Uh, I mean, I go back sort of 15 years now to the likes of Alex Goode and Jamie George and Owen Farrell, all coming through doing the same as what you've done coming through age group rugby perhaps slightly different in so much as that obviously the covid situation kind of put a break on a lot of people's development perhaps but you know do you look at saracens and think yeah this is totally the right place for me as a player to develop and be given the the best chance to become a professional rugby player well
3: yeah is the easy answer i've i've supported Saracens all my life so since whenever I can remember, since um, since I was a little boy, I've supported the club as well. And uh, without sounding like too much of a noise, I, I love the club. I love the coaches, love the team. Uh, it's got some of my best mates there, made really good friends that I love for life there, no matter what happens in the future. But day to day, I love what I do. Do you know what I mean? I really, really enjoy my job. And um, some of the older boys there, the best players in the world there to learn off. Uh, so for me, I really, really think I, I benefit, like, just from even, even how I was as a player this time last year to coming where I am now, I feel like I've I've developed a lot and I'm really looking forward to to learning more and developing more from, from the older guys at the club and and hopefully one day coming through and being in a similar position to them um at the club. Uh that's that's in that's that's my thoughts on that, yeah.
0: Well you 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 mentioned earlier on when we were sort of talking about the, the Prem Cup games that I mean to be fair probably right thing to say, you know, there's a lot of injuries certainly among the backs at the club at the minute. And maybe you, you were given opportunities possibly a little bit earlier than mm. um, than you might've done. But it sounds like you and the other younger guys in the team, you've not had an awful lot of opportunity to really train hard together. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of guys that are off on dual reg with other clubs. Um, and with the injuries in the squad, they, there's been pretty limited time in training together. Has that, has that been the case that we've, we've seen this season? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, fan talk, fan rumour that you're really, you know, you're meeting some people in the car park for the first time, which is obviously a little bit over the top. But you know, how has it been a little bit difficult this year with that or
3: so of course like the 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 Prem Cup campaign starts quite early on as it is, so we sort of come out of preseason. Um I played like a game if I think I think I played one game before I got in involved with the Prem Cup stuff and as, as i was saying the premiership again is is going to be the, the main focus for for the club um but coming into into training we've it's, it's like we, we haven't had the most of time because we've been there trying to support the older lads again so that they can go perform at the weekend and try to help them out in training as best as we can um but in the time that we have had training together we've been working hard to try and put that performance forward but I hope like in, in the best of circumstances, of course, you're gonna want more time, but with 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 what we had, I feel like we we did well to gel together and to actually I think like in some of the games, for example, the London Irish second half, we came out and we we showed a really strong performance. So we there was definitely insights throughout the campaign to, to what the future could be with that with that team. And um I've really enjoyed sort of being a part of of actually developing with that team and, and coming together. So yeah, we haven't had the, the longest amount of time to to be together or to prepare for those games. But with, with what we've done, I feel like we've done a really good job to actually build and, and, as I said, there will be good learning experiences going forward.
1: We talk about those learning experiences, Chad. I'm interested to uh, find out from you. I'm remembering back to when I was your age, some some way back in the distant past, um, the early 1990s, <laughs> to give you an idea, uh, when I first started, you know, playing at a reasonable level. And I always remember being exposed to some coaching, particularly um, at Abeddon Rugby Club, where I played. Uh, one coach in particular, Neil Crossley, was an excellent coach. And just giving a, those little bits of advice that stay with you. Uh, you've now come in, you're you you you're working with senior coaches Guys who are at the very top of their of their profession, what single piece of advice or training or coaching have you received that you think has perhaps helped you the most um, develop as a player in this period of time? For me, it's it's a bit of a it's more more of a phrase
3: like for a mentality. For me, it's it's I was just told by by what one of my coaches I'm I'm quite close with is just never get bored of um doing anything like never get bored whether i'm doing passing draws and i'm just stood there passing the ball making sure i'm focusing on every single bit of skill that i'm doing whether i'm doing kicking just never get bored and do it all focusing like train with a purpose type thing and because it's easy to just go out there and, and kick a ball about when you're training or throw it about and not actually be thinking about what you're doing and it's the same on the pitch like always staying alive making sure i'm working hard never getting bored of working hard so when i'm working off the ball making sure that I don't switch off at all. And I'm always like, if for example, for me, a big thing as a winger is because I'm not the biggest is, is my work rate to to chase after the kicks and stuff like that, to, to put pressure on early um, to make up for maybe the, the less size of me. So I can get onto my early doors, if you know what I mean. So for, for example, no matter, no matter what the scoreline is or whether we're dominant or whether the other team's dominant it's just not getting bored of, chasing those kicks off kickoff and, and making sure I'm, I'm working hundred percent all of the time, uh, to give my most, give my best for the, for the team. So that's, that's, that's a big thing for me.
1: It's it's all about having that hundred percent intensity whenever you are doing it. I mean, one thing I used to coach with the kids was when I coach kids is that even if it's a drill and you go over the try line, you scored a try. You don't okay. just chop back. You away. scored a try. Um, Example, this is a weird example, but um, I watched the last Grand Prix of the season, um, uh, Formula 1 Grand Prix. Michael Schumacher's won one and um, I remember sitting at the, the pit entrance at Silverstone, watching him uh, come into the pit entrance. So it didn't matter at what stage of the weekend, whether it was qualifying, practice runs or the race, he came into the pits at full full pelt and hit the the rev limiter button, at the last minute, so that every time he did it, he was doing it 100%. Whereas other drivers are stopping on practice, they were stopping 10 meters, 20 meters short. His intensity was 100%. And I think you see that obviously with, with the rugby players. You know, the, the best cricket players, Matt, you'll see that they, when they're in the nets, it's 100%. They're playing every shot, they're not having a waft about. And, you know, it's gratifying as someone who, Who likes sport, likes coaching to hear someone as young as yourself take that lesson on board because that fills me certainly personally with a lot of hope and excitement for the future. That you know, the continuation that you see when you see Owen Farrell, who is 150% commitment intensity the whole time. I should imagine Owen Farrell doing, you know, changing the, he's Tommy's nappies, is 150% intensity, <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever, whatever he does. And, and you know, that's obviously what pervades through from the club and you've taken on, which is great.
3: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You see it, you see it the whole way through the club, like with the first team in, in the Prem games at the moment, no matter what the scoreline is, whether we're down, whether we're dominant, like you see in the Bristol game the other week, um, whatever the scoreline is, whatever the time is in the game, we've always got the same mentality as a team throughout the whole entire game. So if someone breaks the line, we're all working back together to get back and then to get back off the line and make hits to to get that ball back and and to score points. So it's definitely something that is 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 being uh, carved into me at a young age, and hopefully I'll be able to take that with me the whole way through my career, and that that will that will
1: stick with me. I'm going to ask you another question, Charlie. I mean, you say you've mentioned there that you've been a long-term fan since, uh, you know, since you were knee to a grasshopper. Number one, are there going to be any embarrassing photographs of you in full Saracens kit at the age of like five that are going to appear in programmes in the future? That's number one. But number two, who was, who is your Saracens hero growing up? Who is the player... That you really, really want to emulate, and and who was the player that you were desperate to get your photograph taken full kit eight five? Let's go embarrass them when you appear in the first team with them.
3: Oh, here we go. There's um, there's definitely, definitely a few, a few pictures that would be able to come out at some point in the future of me, uh, a, a little young gun in my full Saracens kit at a game or or representing my the Saracens gear somewhere but in terms of my Saracens idol um well for me growing up as a scrum half it, it was completely different I was never really looking at wingers and I was just in in looking at the scrum half all, all the time and and watching what they do uh for me it was probably back in the day uh Richard Wigglesworth I, I watched him a lot growing up he come he come to I was at Stortford for a period of time in the in the sort of juniors and Colts uh, after I left Harlow and he came to a Stortford training session one time and uh, he complimented me on one of my runs. And I remember that stuck with me and I got well over excited about it. And uh, <laughs> he um, I managed to get a, a picture with him as well. So he was definitely Richard Wigglesworth growing up. I've, I've never met him, but um, it was him, him growing up. I remember one time I went to one of the, the big games when they used to be at Wembley. And um, I, was, uh, I was on the sideline and I was shouting Jamie George for a picture and he completely ignored me. So that's that called <laughs> that, that me once. Um, I haven't actually told him that before, but yeah. So probably Richard Wigglesworth in that one. Oh, excellent. But uh,
0: wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit... I, mean, I think before we started, we were talking about how we're feeling a bit old. But when Charlie says, back in the day... <laughs> and, then says, and then says Richard Wigglesworth. There's, yeah, I mean, I know he's a bit old as well, but <laughs> that's not fair. But it's, it's interesting, you know, talking about being a nine, I was, I was going to say early, you know, I was at the London Irish game. You talk about your intensity, you talk about wanting to be 100%. That's definitely something we noticed when you came onto the pitch from a London Irish, for from, from the, from the Irish game. And then you revealing that you used to be a nine explains an awful lot, I think, because there was a few of us standing there. I'm sure you don't mind me saying this. I thought, he's a gobby little shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. coming down but yeah no, it's um we definitely definitely noticed that that yeah proper intensity coming on and uh yeah charlie the other question i've got charlie because everyone wants to know how tall are you i'm five foot six <laughs> five foot six okay well Cheslin colby's shorter than you and he's not a bad winger so that's all right
3: but yeah, that's you know. that's one person i could aim to, to be uh yeah.
1: I can promise you that the hardest man that I ever played rugby with was five foot two. <laughs> uh, Mickey Fox, a man who turned around and told me that he was only frightened of uh, two people in his life. One gave birth to him and the other one he married. And, uh, <laughs> and he was a scrum half, ex-rugby league, played for Hulkingston Rovers. And I remember once being in a ruck and feeling him run up my back stand upon my shoulders so he could launch a six foot ten copper into next week <laughs> so yeah you know plenty of plenty of uh, tough guys come in small packages I mean I, I this thing Peter Stringer he played at Saracens for a while he was a little guy who played well above his weight um you know Ryan Constable going back sometime he was a winger he wasn't he wasn't huge but was a great great um player who played well above his um, his weight category as he, as I say so yeah I, I think uh, a bit, with the right bit of attitudes and what does it say a bit of dog in you you, uh, you can go a long way I think
0: Look, we, we've got a habit of uh, Saracens of having players that do seem to punch a little bit above their weight as well I mean, Nick, Nick Tompkins is one that I always mention I remember watching him flatten Mar Nonu in a game which I mean I would be running for the hills if he ran towards me but... <laughs> and Ratimi Shagan's another one who actually had, in the brief amount of time that we've seen you play, in Charlie is someone that I, you know, I think very similar style of style of play in a way. So you know, it's um, definitely something to build on.
1: I always remember the the famous story about Neil Back, and I'll tell this one: that Neil Back um, one year got um, dropped from England and wasn't wasn't taken on a um, on a on a tour um, down under. Um, and the, the 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 reason given was that he was too small. And he said, well, there's nothing I can do about my height. However, what I will do over the summer is ensure that I am big enough in bulk. And he went on a 8,000 calorie a day diet and, and gave up his, his job because this was in the amateur days over the summer and went and trained for four hours, five hours every day in a gym. I went from twelve stone to sixteen stone over the summer, and ended up 80-odd cats for England and winning a World Cup with England. So, you know, the that's size good. size a lot of the size is up there as opposed to actually height or whatever. So, yeah, of course,
3: of course. No, it's, it's been a my height has obviously been a thing. that's I've al- I've always been small. I've never been tall. I haven't I didn't shoot up when I was younger and and then stay the same height. I've always been the small guy in the team. So that's been something I've I've. I've dealt with, uh, and you could say I had a chip on my shoulder since I was a uh, a young rugby player. So, yeah, I try not to let it dis- be a disadvantage for me, let's
1: say. Well, uh, Charlie, thank you very much for joining us. I think we are probably uh, have... Uh, done quite a lot there and we will look forward to speaking to you both at the games and at the club but also i think you know we'll try and get you on um on regularly because you've been fascinating it's given us a great insight And obviously, you now need to go off and have a um, a mixing bowl full of pasta uh, to to, to get those eight thousand calories on board. And uh, and uh, and uh, we'll see you when you're sixteen and half stone of uh, solid (laughs) muscle uh, in in the future sometime. But yeah, Charlie, thank you ever so much for joining us. Absolutely brilliant chat, and we will um, definitely look forward to speaking to you in the future again.
3: No, wicked guys. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Not a problem. Hi guys, I'm Alex Leonton and I'm a proud Loose
2: Heads ambassador. I'm Sydney Gregson and I'm a Loose Heads ambassador. We're a rugby mental health charity working to tackle the stigma. You can find us at Loose Heads on all social media channels or at looseheads.co.uk. The Loose Heads mission is to place a
3: mental health lead at every rugby club. Get in touch now to find out more. Take care and enjoy the rest of the podcast.
2: Enjoy the rest of the pod.
1: the Fezcast. well welcome back to part three of the Fezcast with me and matt and barry and yeah great little interview there with charlie definitely a well, very eloquent very knowledgeable a total fanboy who's you know who's realizing his his childhood ambitions and all credit to him and well done to him and we look forward to speaking to him more in the future don't we matt
0: Absolutely, yeah. Although I'm 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 feeling old. I'm not even 30 yet, and I'm feeling old. It's not good.
1: I Think about me and Barry in our late, late 30s, you know. I mean, that's about right, is it late 30s, Barry?
2: I can't remember me late 30s, mate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, look, yeah, he was fabulous, and as I say, we'll have him back in future. But we do now need to have a chat about England, um, and one person in particular. Um I mean, Matt had a bit of a to-and-fro on um, on um, WhatsApp about this in the immediate aftermath of the game. But first up, we have to pay credit to Owen Farrell, 100 caps for England. Um, he becomes the third 100-cap England player with Jason Leonard and the cap thief, sorry, the um, scrum half Ben Youngs. Um, I, this is where this could be interesting, because I know you're not going to disrespect um, Owen Matt but you are going to pick him up on something and we'll have a chat about around that but I think there is a if there is a more maligned player in world rugby not just by you know the normal um, suspects as it were from outside of England but within England himself this lad's played 100 times for England. He's captained England more times than you can shake a sticker. He's got 1,200 points off of the boot. He's, you know, one of the, if not the greatest players, certainly of his generation, to have put on that England shirt. And yet he still gets dog own abuse. you will sit there. He had, for me, on the weekends, the man of the match performance. Yes, Richie Mwanga got it, and I can understand why that is. But Owen Farrell kept England in that game almost single-handedly in the backs at times on one leg. Marcus Smith, who is an absolute liability in defence, was made to look good because Owen Farrell was making his hits for him. Every decent bit of good play, Johnny May's break was one. I think there was one, um, one where Johnny May made a break and Owen Farrell has put the ball into him and then taken a late hit off of, Um, one of the the all blacks back rows the bloke's hard as nails and quite frankly he should be respected and he does not get the respect he deserves is that fair Barry I'm going to ask you Barry first Um, it's
2: as you said it that's completely fair um, he gets a lot of abuse a lot of it is because of who he plays for at club level I've got to say for some strange reason if he played for another side I'm sure he wouldn't get half of it um, but you, you, you're right I mean we've discussed him on here a lot of times and I know because he plays for us, we probably give him a little bit more credit than, than perhaps other people would. But, you know, he is, Saracens and England are better sides when he's in the team. Irrespective of the other players, they're just a better side when he's there. He drags people along with him and brings them up to his level to uh, as best as he can, you know, and, and he just improves any side more than just being a number. I just wish they'd play him at 10.
1: <laughs> ah, absolutely, 100%. And uh, we will discuss in a bit more detail who did, Sean, who did bomb for England in that game. But, Matt, OK, uh, in the immediate aftermath, you weren't exactly, shall we say, impressed. I did. I was going to say you weren't happy, but less than impressed with a couple of conversations that Owen Farrell had with Machio Reynel, the referee. So I'll give you your... Your, you, you give us your viewpoint, and our, and you know I think there might be a little bit. Of, I think we are essentially coming to the same idea, but from perhaps slightly different directions.
0: Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, just before I do that, I'd, I'd say I, this is the one time that I uh, that I ever give Danny Care's opinion um, a bit of credit because actually, you know we talk about who does and doesn't value Owen Farrell, and yeah, he gets ridiculous stick, and actually, the opinion of his former 9-10 um, partner who plays for a rival club that probably should hate his guts a little bit, he's someone that regularly turns around and says he doesn't, um, doesn't understand why Owen Farrell gets the stick that he does and why he doesn't get the credit. So for a Harlequins and, I'm going to say X loosely, England 9, to, to have that opinion, I think that really shows what makes a difference. But, yeah, I... Mean, <laughs> There's a a few people that have have taken a bit of umbrage to to something that happened at the weekend, which I think is, dialing backwards, it's a symptom of a little snowballing issue that is starting to happen in rugby, and it is entirely the fault of Mr Erasmus. Um, The respect for referees is very, very slowly disappearing down a hill. Um, And we've actually talked about it on this podcast. Show before um, last season, the season before, where Saracens as a team are finding themselves on the wrong end of the referee, um, giving him a little bit of stick this that, and the other. So two flash points at the weekend. Um, one of now names have gone out of my head now, which is a bit silly. So South African player um, who gave Matt Carley a bit of stick, told him to referee both sides, and Carley quite rightly said to the skipper Kalisi, if anyone, including you does the same thing again we've got some big problems Um, and the same thing happened in the England game Owen Farrell now I'm gonna have to pull up the exact words because I don't want to get it wrong because it does matter Owen Farrell exact words you're only looking for one team ref referee obviously says I'm looking for both Owen Farrell doesn't feel like it now that is thinly veiled um, telling the referee he's being biased now there's, there's two things here and this is, this is a little bit tricky. Um, there is actually a bit of a myth that exists in rugby that the captain has carte blanche to speak to the referee. Not the case at all. There is nothing in the laws of the game that says the captain has any more right than any other player to talk to a referee. At the start of a game, referee brings the two captains together for the toss and gives them a bit of a talking to about how he wants to referee the game and how he wants to be approached. So generally, players can ask referees questions. Captains have absolutely no right, the same as any other player, to tell a referee he's being biased. That is a simple fact. In the laws of the game, the only thing that's relevant is the fact that players should respect the decisions the referee makes. Now, it doesn't get enforced. My argument is that it should. And I actually think there's an issue in the laws, really, that it's not really clear exactly what the remit of the captain is with regards to the referee, and what the players are and aren't allowed to do. And I think there is a massive, massive difference between Owen Farrell's words to to Raynell and what we've been seeing on social media and on pitches from, to be honest, someone like Johnny Sexton, who is constantly mouthing off at the referee, and I don't understand why he doesn't get penalised for it, but another story. They are two very different things, but I think the problem that we've got is that without us noticing it is very, very slowly getting worse and creeping into the game more and more. And Owen Farrell is a role model, 100%. He's probably one of the best role models as a rugby boy, he should be one of the best role models for England. And I expect him to be setting an example. And his words to, to rain out the weekend wound me up because they're not going to help. Referee's not going to suddenly start being biased towards you. And if he is, then you shouldn't be refereeing at international level because if he being approached by players and changing your mind because they're telling you to, shouldn't be doing it.
1: I'm going to disagree with you slightly, and I'm going to disagree with you by bringing up to um, one apocryphal story, um, one situation that actually happened to me as a captain. And it will explain a little bit why. I'll take issue with you about captains don't have a right to speak to the referee. A good referee will always want to have a conversation with the captain and all the best referees i played with when i was a captain always made it clear that they were happy to have that conversation with me because it helps make the game flow and helps get the communication over and i think that's something that owen farrell has been very very good at over the years and that he's developed yep. and what someone like nigel owens will say about owen farrell is that he's extremely good at asking those sort of questions now yet yeah, I think maybe there was a slight overstep, but I don't think it was coming from a position of of saying, particularly that Raynaud was cheating. It was just a case of, look, we don't think we're getting the rub of the green. Um, and when he said, well, you are, I think it was a case of, well, we're not feeling that. What do we need to do more? The, the apocryphal story I want to tell you is about the 2003 World Cup final. And Kieran Bracken tells this story brilliantly. But apparently, um, at the end of full time, Andre Watson, the referee, was having an absolute stinker. And let's be honest about it. Those of us who watched it, was he, he might as well have had an Australian shirt on, quite frankly, that day. Apparently, allegedly, apocryphally, Martin and Johnson went up to him and said, excuse me, sir, um, can I ask you a question? And he said, yes, certainly. He says, Andre, if I was to turn around to you and say you're a wanker, what would happen? He said... Martin, I'd send you off and, you, and you, your World Cup would be over. And Martin Johnson looked at me and said, well, why if I thought, you know, if it was in my thoughts, he said, I could do nothing about your thoughts. He said, OK, I think you're a wanker. I use that because what you're accusing, um, or what we're saying about Owen Farrell is, is not something new. I don't think this has ever been no. um, in, in the... In uh, something that slowly happened. It's been it's been happening for years and years and years. And the best referee, Sean Fitzpatrick, was never um, unaverse of having a word in a shell Like if you believe the nineteen ninety nine semi final, France versus New Zealand, the French captain on that day um, spoke to the referee at half time. I have this on pretty good authority, and said, "If you do not change the way that you are refereeing, my team will not come out for the second half." And they come out of the second half, and the refereeing was changed. And France went on and won that game to get into the final. The second thing I'm going to point out is a, is a situation that happened to me as a captain at Abingdon where I was, we got refereed by this old boy. He was a, he was a late pull-up. He came in, he must have been about 72. He couldn't keep up with play and he was the most goddamn awful referee that we've ever had. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. At a point, we had a decision went against us and my hooker went, that's an effing joke and got sent off. Quite rightly, got sent off. I turned around to the player afterwards and said, you go and speak to that referee and apologise. And I went with him, and the referee just wouldn't even speak to him. And I lost it. The reason I lost it, and I'm not proud of this, but that referee refereed that game that made it absolutely inevitable that something was going to happen. Now, the problem we've got with Matteo Reynell is, as much as I don't like criticising referees, he was down to referee Romania versus Samoa in Bucharest. And there's a reason for that. Because he is not a tier one referee. We've had problems with Raynell in the past. You know, he, he just does not put any confidence. So, whilst you know you have to respect the referee, there's also responsibility from the referees to be at that highest level. Now, Matt Carley is at that higher level. Wayne Barnes is at that high level. Nigel Owens was at that high level. Even someone like Jacko Piper is at that. Angus Gardner. They wouldn't, as you say, they've got the balls to turn around and say, look, you know, no, cut that off. Raynell refereed in a way that it was gonna always happen that something like this might occur. That's that's the issue I've got with the way he refereed. And you know, and you're you're right, Owen, perhaps. Looking back at it, we'll go, you know, I probably shouldn't have said it in that way. I should have perhaps phrased it slightly different. But also you look at the situations in the game where Raynaud made an absolute horrocks of a decision. And there was the one where Owen came running in and literally pushed his entire pack back, saying, look, don't, don't question it. Don't question it. Respect it. Just get on with it. It's not worth arguing about. That's the decision he's made. We play to it. So, you know, I think there was both sides of that in that. I just don't think, when you compare it to the, the, the South African hooker and then Razzy Erasmus going off after the game, making it, apparently feels referees are cheating his team. That's completely different to uh, someone in the heat of battle turning around and making a, a slightly less than ideal question of the referee, which ninety nine times out of hundred Owen would never would, would do it in the right way. Anyway,
0: yeah, it was a little flashpoint, and it is you know it's not something that happens all the time with Owen, although a lot of people will say it is. It, it really doesn't. Um, it just happened to be on the day when it had happened again with another South African player, um, and there was a huge flashpoint over social media for it. And Owen Farrell wouldn't have known that because had been he'd have been training for his own match. But yeah, for it to happen on exactly the same day. I just think there needs to be a bit of a clampdown or not clampdown is the wrong word, but they need to clarify the laws of the game, where the remit of the captain starts and ends and where the remit of the player starts and ends, because there isn't actually anything stopping this from, from continuing and from getting worse. So I think you've got to nip it in the bud now if you want rugby to be a game where the referee is respected, regardless of whether or not you're thinking he's having a good game.
1: So go on then, Barry. You've listened to me and Matt Witter on there about uh, the situation. How do you see it? Uh, and um, you know, as I say, you could be referee in this one.
2: <laughs> Gee, thanks. I I'll just get, uh, I'll just... bear
1: in mind you may get accused of being um, being one sided here as well. But
2: I'm just going to say I'll, I'll I'll try and look for both sides here. Have we, um... have we got a TMO? <laughs> <laughs> My partner calls that too many officials because sometimes it does annoy the hell out of us when the game stops. And we have got to look at it 27 times. Anyway, let's get back to the subject. Um, so th- th- there's there's lots to, to chew on there. Uh, first of all, the Razzie Erasmus thing, or what should we say um, unknown international coaches putting stuff out on social media, that needs to be stopped because... If you follow that through, um, there are reports of, of people having death threats and all sorts of things being made against them on the back of this perceived injustice about um, biased refereeing and, and decisions being endlessly questioned three days later on uh, via, via Twitter, which is a fairly toxic place at the best of times. Um, Owen Farrell, yeah, he does occasionally shout things at referees. I mean, I've heard him do it myself at other games, and it doesn't always come across, perhaps as as well as he'd like it. Sometimes he probably just needs to stop and think and say, "Can I come and can I come and ask you a question, referee?" Or, or could you possibly look at X, Y, Z rather than 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 what he said on on Saturday? I mean, it's not the same thing. It's not. Let's not go down that route. And I mean, certainly Owen's not the only. The only player who does it. I mean, we we're talking about scrum halves earlier. I mean, Conor Murray used to arrive at the breakdown asking for something every <laughs> flipping time. You could you could see him. He, he he would get his appeal in before he'd even look for the ball half the time. But um, it, it doesn't. It does need to stop. Um, perhaps it is one for the IRB to to look at and to say, okay, we're actually going to define who can and can't speak to the referees and under what circumstances and uh you know we we'll, we'll have to perhaps have a little bit of a clamping down on it and definitely um people shouldn't be putting things on social media i mean to get a two a two week touchline ban for that is is for a second offence as well um well i say second offence second official offence i mean he's he, he's put plenty of stuff out there over the years and he's he's making south africa a, a, a not very enjoyable team to uh to follow, in in my opinion, um, which is interesting because I'll be watching him on Saturday.
0: John Smith's actually come out today. I've I've only just read it. He's he's got a little article out saying pretty much the same thing that Razzie is um, is not working wonders for uh, for the um, op- opinion towards South African rugby. Put it that way. So yeah, for John Smith to come out and say that sort of thing's got to stop. and that kind of what we we're all at pains to say really is that. For, for all that I got annoyed on, on Saturday, me and no one else in any way are equating Owen Farrell's one heated comment to what Razi Erasmus has been up to all the time. But I think... Chris Foy is. Oh, Chris <laughs> Foy is, yeah. But, you know, he, he an awful lot.
1: To, but then again, I mean, he's always had an axe to grind, hasn't he, for yeah. some whatever reason. But. Well,
0: funnily enough, he works for, a, for a, a rag paper that needs to create these headlines. But, yeah, I mean, my, my concern is that it's just... It's one of those things that... People watch that on the telly and it's going to bleed slowly into the community game, as it has done in community football, and we're going to run out of referees. Um, unfortunately, it's just the case that I hold Owen Farrell to a much higher standard than I do many other players because I think he is that good. So that's part of the problem.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, we discussed Owen Farrell, and as I said, I I think he was man in the match um, on Saturday. And I think, you know, England's the 70 minutes were pretty abject. The 10 minutes, they were pretty spectacular. And I think, seriously, it's because somebody on that pitch turned around and said, I don't care what Eddie Jones is telling us to do. We just need to have a crack at this because we're at home. We're 17 points down. And there was a very Saracen-style comeback in it. A lot of it came down to when players were swapped. Um, So the front row changes made a huge difference to England, as did um David Ribbons coming on for Johnny Hill. How old Johnny Hill got seven out of ten um and Marrow only six out of ten. This is an interesting one. I'm going to mention Marrow and so, and We're going to talk about Will Player here in a bit and the Will 15. Everybody's saying that Ebon Estabev, you know, should have been in the Will 15. It was Tag Burn and Sam Whitelock who got the uh Whitlock who got the, the second row berths. What everybody forgets about the likes of Sam Whitelock and Eben Estevez and, um, and Brody Ritalik and Tag Burn is that they play next to a world class second row at international level. Maro Otoji has either played at blindside for England, he's going to be back at blindside against South Africa, or he's carried either Alan Wynne Jones at British Lions level or Johnny Hill. The guy plays two second row positions and still can compete with the likes of Eben Estebeth, who doesn't have to worry about who's packing down on his right side because he's got Lou De Jager there, or Brodie Ritalik, who's got Sam Whitelock next to him, or even at Scotland. Scotland have got pairs of second rows. And it was only when David Ribbons came on that we actually had a second row partnership that worked. And that's half the thing. There's one time Johnny Hill took the ball into contact. And yeah, okay, I ain't saying that I would have done any better because they would have put the, the, the All Blacks would have put me into next week, but he was picked up and driven backwards. This is twenty stone of international so-called second row should never have happened, and that's the problem that Maroata. So I thought Maroataji first half, in the same way as I thought Owen Farrell carries his backs, Maroataji was carrying his forwards uh, and has done for quite a lot of of the last couple of seasons. And you know maybe maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I will say Billy Villapoda didn't have his best game. Sam Simmons had a, a reasonable game at, at blindside. Tom Curry, I still cannot see how Ben Earl's cannot get ahead of Tom Curry at the moment because I think Tom Curry slightly worked out as a as an international open side. Um, but yeah, the big difference was Maku, Jamie, and Will Stewart coming on in the front row.
0: I mean, I, I've oh, I'm, I've got a much simpler brain than Jez. Clearly, I mean, I, I just I've written off seventy minutes of rugby, and and the difference was was in ten. I think, yeah, the, the the front row that came on, pretty much changed the game on their own. Um, Ribbons, who I will happily hold my hands up and say I don't really know why he was uh, he was in and around the England squad all the time. He's firmly put me in my place there because I think even just the twenty minutes that he had off the bench really did change things around. And I would grudgingly say that Ben Youngs actually had a good, his good twenty minutes that he has every couple of years, um, which, you know, absolutely fair enough. Um, it is it, papered over some cracks, to be honest. Um, but but yeah, I think off the bench, England were very good. I think yeah, the likes of um, you know, I, I thought Marcus Smith had a had a good game once he was let off the leash, as well. I think um, I think that's that's. Something to say for me. I know Jez is shaking his head at me, but Owen Farrell was very, very good, um, previous conversation aside. And yeah, it's a very, very strange game to dissect for me.
1: The, the, big, the biggest problem is that, you know, when you look at a performance like that against New Zealand, New Zealand's, when we beat them in the World Cup semi-final, were a far different animal to what they are now. New Zealand are a team that is a combination of a dad's army and a lot of players who are still making their way in the game and are not coached as well as they have been in the past. Um, they've had some quite ordinary results this year. And there is an element that Eddie was quite right in his pre-match comments when he turned around and said, New Zealand are there for the taking." which is all well and good, because they are there for the taking. But if you're going to say that, you better put a team out that's actually going to go out and take them. And that's the problem that they didn't. They played to Eddie's sport that England could just beat them up and, you know, steamroll them. And plan A, for 70 minutes didn't work. And whether it was Eddie turning around and having a road to Damascus epiphany on the sideline, or whether it was Owen Farrell and Ben Young's, and you know Maratoji or the senior players on the pitch going sod this a game of soldiers let's have a crack I don't know but you know if you're going to turn around pre-week and say New Zealand are there for the taking don't put a team out in the park that's not going to take them on and England didn't take them on for 70 minutes no yeah
2: there's there's I mean there's been all sorts of talk about Malcolm Malcolm Marcus Smith kicking the ball out on the on on the whistle and if if New Zealand were there for the taking kind of wonder why he would do that but it, it wouldn't be the first time Owen Farrell's got a team together under the posts or whatever and said you know what we might as well just have a go at this and see what happens.
0: Post-match interview with Owen Farrell um, obviously he's not going to throw his own teammates under the bus but apparently he and Marcus Smith um, having got into the draw of the game they both discussed what what their tactics was going to be um, and According to Mr. Farrell him and him and Marcus Smith between them said if we've got front football, we go for it. if we haven't got front football, we kick it out Now New Zealand kicked off really really well, I thought um, for that final kickoff. it dropped between a few players. Owen Farrell himself had to get involved in the ruck to retain the ball so Smith didn't have his link man in the center of the pitch which is probably why he then kicked the ball out. So I get it. Um bit of a shame, I think um, but it sounds like it was a joint decision between the two playmakers, if that makes sense,
1: well, yeah, it does make sense, and I can as i say, I could completely understand that my problem is that in ten minutes, England showed what they needed to do, which was play like they did in the first half an hour against New Zealand in the twenty nineteen semi final, which was basically to go. Do you know what? i go back to when I was coached as, as a kid and when I coached kids. The one thing I was always told, best form of defence is to attack. Well, you do, as a captain, you win the toss, you elect to field the kick. You take the ball, you keep it alive, you go up the pitch, you get over the white line, put it down, there's seven points for you. You return to your own half and repeat. It is a simple game. And England showed enough in those last 10 minutes that if they'd gone like that at the start of the game, it would have been them putting New Zealand to to the sword. As Eddie said, they were there for the taking and they didn't take it. And that's what really disappointed yeah. me about that, that game.
0: The other, to be honest, the other part of that is the simple way of looking at it is that these are glorified friendlies. Um, so why not? Why not just Yeah.
1: <laughs> absolutely although ranking points are important when it comes to seeding for World Cup so, but yeah let's see what they do against South Africa and bearing in mind that he's going to play a half-fit Owen Farrell at 12 again uh, with a couple of quality centres in South Africa and Maratoji at blindside because they're worried about the, uh, the line-out uh, but quick one World Player of the Year uh, Josh van de flyer do we agree, yay or nay? Because I, I could tell you that if you if you disagree, you're wrong, because I think he's had an absolutely amazing <laughs> season. The only other player I would have put up there, and this is the interesting one, because all the South Africans are upset that Evan Estevev isn't in the side, but I think Tagburn and uh, Sam Whitelock have had great seasons, done well. Uh, and also Ardi Surveyor, who, was, who has been pretty special, but uh, the only other player I would have put in there who didn't get on the shortlist is Gregory Aldrete. Who I thought had an absolutely amazing year for France and worthy to get in as number eight on the World Team of the Year.
2: Yeah, it probably shows how far um, in the Northern Hemisphere, how far ahead of ahead of everyone else, uh, France and Ireland are currently at the moment. That the the players that we're talking about from the, from this side of the of the world are, are, are all from there. You know, it's England players aren't getting a look in at that at the moment, and really we should be.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And you, are you happy with that one?
0: Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think, yeah, I, I mean, for Surveyor not even to be in the picture was a bit odd, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no, it's all very subjective, isn't it? And it's not like there's there's one standout good player. There's, there's, there's a lot of players in world rugby at the moment that are head and shoulders above other players in their team sometimes and, and especially in the back row, I think. So, yeah, that's, that seems fair enough to me.
1: Yeah, no, I was going to um, come up with a disciplinary um, thing, but we're going to hold that back for the next um, first cast because uh, uh, about you're not going to be here next week, are you? Because you're on, on a uh, bit of a uh, di- dissertation writing spell.
0: Yeah, I've got to have it finished by this time next week, so um, I'm not having any sleep for a while.
1: Well, that, well that's fair enough. Um, Barry, you got much planned on for the next week or so? Um, well,
2: hopefully an awful lot of rugby on, uh, on the weekend, because I'm hoping to get, well, obviously going to see England and um, South Africa on the Saturday. I'm also hoping to get to the Stonex for the uh, the doubleheader.
1: Well, excellent. Yeah. And that's something we're going to look forward to um, on our next week's show, reviewing um, reviewing that. Uh, me, personally, I've just got to bring out, um, I don't know whether you guys saw this week, um, an absolute... Hero in the sport of rugby, not just union but league as well, um, and I think we can forgive him for his part in Saracens' downfall at the in uh, last year's final. But Sir Kevin Sinfield, seven ultra marathons in seven days for his old mucker uh, Rob Burrows to raise, I think it's over one point five million pounds for the Motor Neuron Disease Association is absolutely amazing. Um, I'm going to announce it here now. and um, that oh, as this goes live at six o'clock on Wednesday morning, i will have done my first. I'm not doing seven ultra marathons. That's a little bit beyond me at the moment, although you know you never know in the future. But I am going to be doing my own seven in seven because as you know, I raise money for mountain your own disease. Um, I'm gonna be doing seven miles on seven consecutive days on a treadmill in 70 minutes-ish. There'll be a seven at the front of my time. Because I've had a bit of a back injury. So if I can't quite, yeah, but that's running at six miles an hour uh, for 70 minutes, seven days, seven miles. So anybody wants to support me there, get to justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Jezza Denton and throw me some quids. We'll put the link up on the, on Facebook and on, on Twitter. But yeah, that's my plan for the next few days. Oh,
2: yeah, just from my point of view, I thought an ultra marathon was just a big chocolate bar.
1: <laughs> you yeah, know you're showing your age now aren't you I, mean, yeah. I don't like peanuts so I can't have them But yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I'm uh I'm gonna be doing my dissertation fueled by ultra snickers so it'll be all right
1: <laughs> well, no, thank you very much for your time um, gentlemen again always a pleasure talking to you guys about rugby and uh and even if we do have a slight disagreement on the odd thing here and there but uh, yeah. Uh, look forward to um, to recording next week. We'll be back, uh, as I say, next week. What day is it next week, Matt? Have we worked that out yet? 30th,
0: mate. My dissertation due in then.
1: Oh, yes, yeah, the 30th. So, yeah, yeah. Matt's dissertation day. Yeah, and uh, yeah, But we'll be back with a selection of our cast hosts with me to chat over what's gone on the weekend, possibly having another rant about Eddie Jones um, or whatever. But thank you, everybody, for listening in. And um, we'll speak to you soon. See is the Fescast. <laughs>